0: Mentioned that we're going to be going through um, going through Second Corinthians, and my desire in going through this shared with you last week, and, and, and repeating a little bit for, for those who are not uh, not here. The, the desire in family life as you go through the Word is, of course, that the Word might be applicable. But that's that's true of, of any study. I would hope that you going through God's Word to see two things, right? We mentioned those last week. Two things: what does God say? What is, God, what's the, what is the knowledge I'm trying to acquire? What do I need to know here? What am I learning from this? Because a lot of commentators will walk through, and they'll go walk through 2 Corinthians. They'll talk about how frustrated Paul was, and they'll say the structure is not very clear. They'll, they'll, they'll give all these pieces. Normally, most people break down 2 Corinthians by saying first seven chapters is where he's commending the church because this is his fourth letter. And there were uh, places where he had to – we know that in 1 Corinthians – rebuked him. Chapters 8 and 9 is where he talks about the grace of, of, of giving and the generosity of the churches, and he talks about that in chapters 8 and 9. Then he comes back to those who are still rebellious or still who oppose his authority in the final chapter, chapters 9 through – I mean 10 through 13. That's kind of roughly the three sections. But when I go through scripture, it's beyond just what is Paul trying to say. It's it's really what what do I need to learn from this and what what do I learn about God? What do I discover about him? Ultimately, the word of God is about discovering him and what difference does it make in my life and how does that apply? So we do try to – one is you know, if I slow down a little bit, that's good, and I could ask questions and get you engaged to where we can engage on the text, on these questions – and uh, encouraging that way Through the emails What would be helpful sometimes As we get through the text And this morning we'll probably, if We probably If we have time We'll get to the first two verses After I finish going Laying the foundation Is in the email Send questions Hey Next week We'll be looking at verses So uh, and so And here's some questions Here's some things To think about And maybe start Start with those The following week It's neat to, go, to Kind of take our time To go through a text It's kind of like When we went through Psalm 119 it Took us about a year To go through Psalm 19, but it gives you kind of you're digging in long enough to where you, you you'll remember down the road that we went through this passage. And as you read it, maybe things will pop back out at you. So Second Corinthians is the same way. We take our time to go through this. It'll take us about a year to go through it. Yes, you could you could nitpick on every word and take five years if you want to. But after five years, I don't think Paul intended these letters to be read over five years and studied over five years. So I also want to have a flow of what the letter was saying and not lose sight of that as well. One thing we mentioned last time, the significance of, of this text. So starting here with uh, – I don't know if it's the – it's not a key verse. You know, you're looking for a key verse. You know, we're, we're, we're very systematic in our approach to education, so we want the outline. We want the key verse. We want everything to be systematic way. The reason why I'm, I'm focused on, on grace like – my grace is sufficient for you in chapter 12, verse 9 um, – Grace is mentioned, I believe, I believe, fourteen times in Second Corinthians, the most of any book except for one other book. Anybody want to guess what the other book is? Romans. Romans, Romans is the only other book that mentions grace more than 2 Corinthians. And where did he write Romans from? He wrote right from Corinth. So he wrote the, the foundation for Romans is. Corinth. That's the context from which he wrote the theological foundation. So all the struggles, the outworking that he's seeing in the church, what he's struggling with in the church right now, what he sees, the, the things he's trying to deal with, whether it be his authority, whether it be the giftings, all the things from 1st and 2nd Corinthians. All these things come together, and then he writes the theological foundation for it in Romans as he's in Corinth. So really 2nd Corinthians is kind of the, the practical side of, of Romans – and the outworking of some of that and that's why grace is so present in in this letter so i was encouraged I, i've read through it a few times <clears throat> just in, in preparation this summer just reading through it reading through it and every time i go back through it and underline a different verse and come back and and uh the first chapter really caught my attention and we'll, we'll walk through that as well if you want to see where the church was first founded you have to go to acts chapter 18 and in Acts eighteen. We have um, Aquila and Priscilla that are pretty well known in the New Testament, foundation of the Church of Corinth. Paul meets up with them. Why? Because they're also tent makers; they're in the trade. So he meets up with them, and we'll see some of that trade piece. You know, we know Paul's a tent maker, but he's primarily a tent maker in Corinth. That piece is brought out in Corinth more significantly than in other places. As a matter of fact, there will be will be a little bit of contention later. Why? Because he makes it a point for them to understand that he's not paid by them to do the work of the ministry. And that's where the tent-making comes in. Whereas the church in Macedonia did pay him. So that's a point of contention, and, and we'll see a little bit why that was why that was important to Paul in this specific context, not to be paid by the church and um, to, to, be, to be able to minister to them in that way. We talked about the four different letters just as, as a context. It also shows the, the impact of this letter, or the church, rather, ministry. Corinth and Ephesus are the two primary – those are the two anchors in Paul's missionary journeys, and he'll spend the majority of his time either in Corinth or in, in Ephesus going, going back and forth. So this is the fourth letter. Most scholars would agree it's a fourth letter. Of course, some would say, well, others were lost. Well, God preserved the ones, obviously, he wanted us to have, and those are the two first Corinthians. But there's one before that that's mentioned in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And then there's this tearful, painful letter because when he first comes back and the first report he gives is that we'll see the opposition that's there, and he writes this tearful and painful letter. Then he comes back with more rejoicing in 2 Corinthians in his fourth letter. So briefly... We covered this last week, but I want us just to um, s- situate ourselves where this letter, <clears throat> the, the context of the letter, and how it fits in the overall New Testament picture. Mentioned here, it's about a year after First Corinthians, probably about a year before Romans, so it fits right there, right in the middle of his journeys in his third missionary journey. Last week, <clears throat> showed you briefly the pictures of where he traveled. Galatia is his first missionary journey through Galatia, through the second. Uh, missionary journey, he goes around to Macedonia, then back down to uh, Achaia, and uh, he'll write. So he goes to Corinth. Paul's second missionary journey. Then he'll, I think, I write down the, the third, third journey as well. Third journey is when he writes Second Corinthians when he's walking through Macedonia, all coming down to Corinth, writes to them before he gets there. So just kind of give you a picture and then of course his fourth travel takes him to to Rome where we don't know exactly how he ended his days. We we suspect that he was martyred under Nero whenever the after the Roman after Rome burnt in 64 AD they he accused the believers, of Christians of being responsible. We believe that Paul was probably beheaded at that point. Um, and the history of Corinth is is tied to a number of things there as well. So that kind of gives you a picture of his, his missionary journey. We went through that last week, and then we started this. hadn't finished some of what I call the geopolitical landscape. Why, why is it significant for us to – not to study perhaps in depth, but at least understand the context in which this letter is written? Because when you write a letter, when you write a letter… There's a couple things you don't explain in the letter. You don't explain the context. You don't say, Hey, this is what's going on in the city right now, you know, this is this is what the Romans are doing. You don't you don't provide that kind of context. Two, in a letter you don't usually you don't always mention the questions that were asked. You're answering problems, but you're not necessarily naming the problems. So what I mean by that is he'll go through and, and mention things. We know the problems are there because based on what he's addressing. So to understand the context for us is to understand the struggles that the church faced and helps us understand why he wrote 1 Corinthians and why he wrote 2 Corinthians. So understand that context really deepens our understanding. It really brings to life and brings color to our understanding of, of this letter. So a few things about the, um, the context one want to put down is the context from which Roman is written. So a lot of these things that you see here will kind of help us understand a little bit what he's, why he says what he says in, in the book of Romans that we're going through of course Sunday morning historical, geographical context is important knowing that what we're reading and what we're studying is anchored in history, is anchored in truth is important, that's why history is important that's why the history class you slept through was important <laughs> because it, it anchors the rest of, 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 of truth that we kind of piece to that and it kind of gives you a bigger picture it's one thing about scripture having pieces of this, right? Why uh, here's this letter here, and not understanding how they fit how they fit in the in a the, in the greater scheme of things. So history is important from that perspective. And understanding the political dynamic, the social dynamic, helps to understand why he's addressed and why he's addressed and what he says and why he says it. And what was discovered, I think, a lot with Corinthians is that well wow, the city of Corinth. Was a very progressive city. Was a very wealthy city, but very contrasted city with a lot of slaves that were there. You see a lot of social tension that was there that he addresses in his letter, and in many ways uh, indicative of a lot of things we're experiencing in our in our own in our own society. So, well, the great is a city of great significance. I think I, I gave you a little bit of, of its uh, geographical location. Uh, being there, as you can see, just naturally back in the day. Being this, this land bridge that was there, there are two main ports that were addressed, either sea and Corinth being a huge trade uh, city, being a very wealthy city uh, as well. Um, that's going to be significant later whenever Paul talks about not just generosity but the tensions within the church between different classes of people. Because the church aspires to what? We gather around what truth? We gather around the person of Jesus Christ. But when you bring a church together like the church of Corinth that had a, a large percent of this society that was issued that were from uh, – originated from, from trade. They were freed slaves. Then you had the wealthy merchants, and you had that mixture in the church. You realize that there's, there's tension there, and how, how Paul's going to address that, of course, is through emphasizing the, the, the grace uh, of God. So it's a city with a lot of Roman culture. Latin language I think we spoke to that last time uh, and one thing I put down is just the imposing because I'm seeing now Paul as he's addressing the church as the church is experiencing this one of the big overlooking uh, fortresses that was there is the Corinth, overshadowed the city of Corinth on top of this now I've never been to Greece some of you may have had the blessings of, of going there I haven't um, I think Jane, I don't know if you went – you didn't go all the way down to Corinth. You were up in Athens, side perhaps, the steps of Paul. Uh, went on a, on a trip with that one. So blessing to see some of that. So I'm imagining this city here. What's on top of this, this fortress? First of all, it, it, it's the Roman uh, imposing this power and authority. But it's also the place we're going to have their temples of worship, uh, especially the temple of Aphrodite and what that means for all the immorality that he was facing in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians letters. A big part of that was this imposing uh, gods and temples that overshadowed the city and the temple of Aphrodite being one of them. I think I'll talk about this, that a little bit later. But when he's addressing them and writing these letters, they're immersed in a culture. We talked about this, mentioned how the Romans, when the Romans came and conquered a new culture, what did they do? They try to assimilate the culture. They try to assimilate their gods. They didn't go there and try and squelch and, and try to ban – now, they didn't want any other god or king but Caesar. Uh, that's what, of course, got Christ in trouble being the king of the Jews. But they, they assimilated other other worships, and there's a big mixture of, of Roman gods and Greek gods. And so when you have when he's addressing the Second Corinthian church with the Church of Corinth – what overshadows the city is this imposing structure, and on top of that city is as many temples of worship. And Aphrodite was a—they they estimate that there may have been a thousand prostitutes that work at the temple of Aphrodite because it was a—it was a, a sexual rite where they, they paid for uh, they paid for sexual intimacy, and then they pay for that as a work form of worship. So you can imagine how. Not just the debauchery, but how that mingled in the culture that the church was was facing. So all this is very, very present and, and very, very imposing. And what the Romans did, instead of trying to squelch everything, they, they diluted people's religion by, by mixing it and blending it in with their culture, which is a lot of, of the things we struggle with even as Christianity today. Why right? we stay, stay pure to who we are, what we believe, and that society and culture as a whole muddle those waters. The city was colonized, and this is important to the letters that are written. Again, Romans, right? the foundation for Romans. The city was colonized by Caesar, uh, and in the beginning, a lot of the soldiers were primarily freedmen, which means former slaves granted freedom uh, and rights. So imagine a city full of these newfound slaves that have this newfound freedom. He founds the city, and so now you're going to have a a blend of… Wealthy merchants and a new freed slaves, all aspiring to a new, a new social status. You know, last week I said that we get too weedy in some of the details, so here we're going to get a little bit weedy. but It's just kind of fun, and then you can just press the you know reset button and forget about it later. But it's significant only because Corinth is also home of the Isthmian Games, which is one of the four. Panhellenic of the game which is of course a precursor to the Olympics. I say that because Paul does a lot of teaching on running the race and so all that is influenced by being there the idolatry that he talks about being there present because of all the temples over there and then all the, the, the references to sports and, and well sports, to running the race come from being being so present. Four cities uh, held the games Olympia, Corinth, Nemea, and Delphi uh, had the four games and Corinth was part of that which means there are parts of the, of the every four years where um, Corinth was the center of those games so imagine Paul teaching during those moments and times and he's using that as an illustration of what the believers are to be and how the believers are to, to walk just as an interesting detail Every every game was in honor of a god. Today we think about the Olympic Games Were, I guess, unless you're going to say you worship the god of self. But out of the four games, uh, one, the Olympic Games was to honor Zeus. The Pantheon Games were to honor Apollo. Uh, the Nemean Games were to uh, the death of uh, – I could pronounce these in French a little bit better. So I'll just speak French from here on out. All right? <laughs> Opheltes uh, and then Isthmian Games Poseidon so every every game honored and worshipped a god so they were there yes to gather and every game had different emphasis whether it be uh, some was running athletics some was music and art it wasn't just listen the Olympic Games are long enough if we had to add music and, and, and theater to the Olympic Games we'd never get out of them but um, it was more than just running and wrestling it was all so as he's teaching this, not only are the Olympic Games here to do well, they're there to honor and worship a god, uh, and, and Paul is teaching within that, that environment. Very wealthy city. Some of the commentators describing Corinth says, I learned in a short time the nauseating behavior of the rich and the misery of the poor. This is a, a, a commentator of the period describing the city the of Corinth. Given the city's large population of freedmen, these former slaves, many aspire to advance themselves socially. People impressed with material splendor and intent on raising their standing in the world. Which means, you know, you come out of this, it's kind of like they call this, uh, this new wealth people, right? Now you want to, you have this, you were poor, but now you've got this newfound wealth and you want to you boast it. You want to you grow. You want to make it known. And so there's this desire to grow in social status, desire to grow in, in being noticed. So these new found freedmen mixed with this, these wealthy – and, of course, as we know, the church is not immune to culture. Right? We're part, we're part of society. We're not, like this, we're not in a non-cultural bubble. We inherit uh, the culture that's around us. Someone told me, and it's probably true. I don't know if MacArthur made this comment, but it's like the church is always two steps behind culture. I wish we weren't. I wish we were a mile behind culture, but it seems like the church can easily be just two steps behind, behind culture whether our priorities or what we you know our value system the things we question or don't question the 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 commitments we have the engagement i mean all these things like we're not we're not part of the world but we're we're not we're two steps behind the world so big issue that he's going to address with the corinthian church is how to be in the world but not of it and in that context wow that was that was so significant for for that church being what they were what they were facing so the challenges that it presented for <clears throat> for paul was that what was paul's description of an upward path so you you, you take these you take this city of socialites you take the this, this city of former slaves now free and they, they aspire to to bigger and better things what's the challenge paul's going to have in the middle of that what's one of the challenges going to have what's the what's the way up for paul How did I catch my breath there? <laughs> What's the way up for Paul? And it's down. I mean, total counterculture. The way up? And part of the challenges Paul had is that he was in a culture where there were a lot of orators, paid sophists, they called them, orders orators. So they were paid, they were strong in rhetoric, they were very present, so... It, that was part of the culture that people would go and listen to these very elaborate, like Apollo was a very gifted speaker we see in 1 Corinthians. So you're in a city where they had these paid sophists, these paid orators that were skilled on that trade, and they were out there you know, talking philosophy, talking rhetoric, and then you have little miserable Paul who comes in, not very impressive, not very elaborate, not very sophisticated, not that he's not smart, but he doesn't, he's not trying to convince that's what he says, right? He's not trying to convince with my with the wisdom of my words. And you have a culture of people that are used to admiring these these great orators, these great speakers, that were actually paid for it, which comes back to why Paul refused to be paid. Because these socialists, these these paid orators were there throughout the city and they had a following, and they they debated amongst themselves. So he had this whole presence, and so now the church is used to what? Gifted orators. And so the church wants somebody that has that same skill set. You know, that, that person that can wow with their words, that can have the subtlety of, the, of, of the, the, the nuance of the words and, the, and the, the language skills. They want somebody that has all that. And, and Paul, his path to going up is, is going down. And actually he's describing in his letter that actually humility and weakness is, is my strength. Total opposite of what they're accustomed to. And I tell you, it's not very hard for us to imagine. And that's why going back to that's why it's not that Paul established a model for being a tip maker, but it's that with Corinth, Corinth, specifically, he didn't want to be paid as an orator, like all the others. He didn't want to be paid like the others because he was in the ministry of the Lord, so he purposefully and did not want a following like they were following. That's why in the first life he says, Well, I'm of Apollo, I'm of Peter. Right, because these men, Paul was gifted. Peter's one of the twelve. I mean, hey, these men had more status. These men were more were were more honored, and that's why he intentionally was not paid by Corinth. And it was a point of contention because they referenced that. But he was paid by Macedonia. So there was this idea: No, I'm not going to be paid by you guys. I'm I'm not this this order that you that, that that's gifted speaker that you want to pay in comparison to what you've got over here. So he he is totally a different image of. What they wanted or what they expected, and as a church, believers, you you know you want your you want your you want Paul to be that, that that gifted order, and I think about it's not far removed from where we are today in churches, right? What do you look for in a in a preacher? Isn't it amazing that the, the model? For, how do you, how the, how does the average church find a preacher? Bring him in and listen to him. Guy's going to come in and give his best swing. He's a pitch hitter. I'm going to go out bat. And if I get, you know, I've got my three best sermons in my pocket. If you get three sermons in your pocket, maybe get two. And the guy is, you know, and I remember taking classes back in the day. I won't tell you when that day was, but it's back in the day. (laughs) Describing how. As a missionary, one of the missionary classes was, you know, raising support and things, and dress nicely because people give money better to someone dressed nicely than someone who doesn't dress nicely. It makes sense to me. I mean, if you look slick, then people tend to be because you appear successful and you got it together, so people be more prone to supporting you than the poor old Joe who stumbles on his words and doesn't look like he's got it all together and like oh, that guy. Well, that's how kind of where Paul was it's amazing today that we we are impressed with people who walk in what what are you looking for but that's what his that's what paul's challenge is what are you looking for because i'm telling you my life here's why the authority i stand on is not on my own giftings my own abilities my ability to impress you with my words convince you with my words because i've got this wealth because you're paying me it's because i've got i've been called as an apostle of jesus christ and he wants to stand on that, and he makes that clear. And I thought, wow, it is easy for us. I'm thinking culturally, how we, you know, we want that that image of of a leader that kind of meets some of these qualifications. And sometimes we're not that. You know, I hope we look beyond that. Well, first of all, I hope Brian's not going anywhere, so we don't have to look for anybody else. But that's the first thing I should say. But um, the other piece is, and of course, you have to have to get the teaching. You have to have different. Uh, spiritual giftings, understandably so, but that notwithstanding, um, that's the the tension that Paul is, is 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 addressing here. I look back here and look a little bit. I, I ask myself the other question that no one else is asking: What happens to what happens to Corinth afterwards? Well, he got <clears throat> Nero came. Nero came in the in the, in the games of 66 and freed the city from Roman. Rule. So he gave it some independence from, uh, I think, November 66 is when Nero came. November 66 is probably two years after he beheaded Paul and Rome burnt. And a few years later, then there's just a series of, of earthquakes back in 300, back in 1100, big earthquakes that, that destroyed the city. I think the the earthquake of 1100, 1147, had an earthquake that killed uh, … I think maybe maybe 45,000 people, and uh, the city was – then the city was invaded a little bit later by uh, the Norman sack. All these things combined really uh, – actually, the, the earthquake was at 800. They rebuilt some, but since it was sacked in the 1100s, it never rebuilt as a city. So today it's a city, but it's not obviously uh, has anything to do – which is also why it's hard for us. We see cities today… If 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 you're seeing the Bible, if you were to read the Bible, the city of Paris, Paris is a beautiful, wonderful city. I mean if there's anywhere to go after Israel is Paris. I'm just telling you. And not biased either. I'm just saying that I know what they say, Paris would be nice if it weren't for the French. But that that being said, it's still a beautiful city. So when you see but when you hear Corinth, Corinth just there's no reference point to Corinth, right? But back in the day, you had to see the, 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 the size of the city, the significance of the city. Today, of course, uh, the Lord has not allowed it to continue that way. The other thing I, I saw somewhere is that the Temple of Aphrodite actually was turned into a church. And I think in, in 500 AD, back when Constantine Christianized the Empire, they went through and Christianized. Now, this is beyond Constantine's time, but they kept on Christianizing the world. One thing they did in Corinth is Christianize the temple uh, of Aphrodite and turn it into a church. So that's why if you, if you go to the ruins today, obviously things don't look exactly the way they were back then. So biblical landscape, some of the challenges I mentioned, the, the social tensions that were there, social status, the, the need for status, the desire to grow in, in, in social status, those, ask, those kind of aspirations, the message of Paul… Was totally contrary to all that. Uh, one person said, you know, the health, wealth, gospel is killed in 2 Corinthians. I mean, uh, the idea that, that God blesses wealth and, uh, and in a sense that that's what you should aspire to boy, Paul just cuts all that down and, uh, <clears throat> because of what he was already facing in, in the city. I mentioned that they were faced with very, uh, very gifted orators, uh, speakers, uh, and so that's why Paul um, addressed them the way he did. And then a church that was struggling to live in the world but not be of it. Interesting in First Corinthians five, right, he rebukes the church for open immorality in the church. First Corinthians five, he says, Boy, this family, this, this person's living in sin, and the church is doing nothing about it. Then in second Corinthians he says why? He says, Hey, that person has grieved long enough. Let's not grieve to despair. And how you pull that back in. So he kinda of balances those two those two pieces. But he have a church that's struggling to here we are in the midst of the i mean you're on top of this mountain are these these prostitutes and, and the city just embedded with all the wealth and, and and prostitution and morality and idolatry all these things then the games come in and all this mixed up society and how does the church live in the midst of that and be uh be true and paul helps them helps him walk through that so what will we learn I tell you, I walk walking through my notes as I've been reading through this, and we'll walk through some of these. I'm just trying to maybe here cast a big picture of what we'll be seeing uh, through through this letter. Uh, it's no doubt by far the most personal. If you read Second Corinthians, it's no doubt the most passionate of Paul's letters. I mean, he's very emotional, he's very passionate. Uh, Romans is very methodical. He's he's writing out theology, but but here he's he's just very emotional and passionate about it. Uh, you can imagine though in ephesus what happened in ephesus in ephesus he was persecuted and kicked and had to run and corinth he's rejected by the church i mean he's he's facing the the trials of of ministry and seeing the church grow and 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 so he's he's very passionate very um very personal level when you read it it's obvious as you read through it this range of emotion is describing from those who repented that he rejoices with uh, encouraging them in their generosity and then those who are still holding on to the rebellion to those he calls in the second part of the letter you know you're these super apostles A little bit ironically you know I'm an apostle of Jesus but you're following these super apostles these super gifted speakers that are um, putting themselves forth and promoting themselves so what do we discover the grace to live I mentioned the, the grace mentioned uh, 14 times in, in this letter second only to to Romans, also written from from, um, from Corinth. We'll live, he'll, he'll talk about the grace to live in holiness, the grace that fuels our thanksgiving, grace that brings about salvation, grace that gives. It just caught my attention when, in, in 1 Corinthians 8. He says God gives them the grace to give. I don't think about grace giving. I think I give and... Everybody should be graced because I give. <laughs> he actually he describes it backwardly, right? God gives us that, that generosity, the ability to be to be generous there. Grace that by his poverty we might become rich. Grace that proclaims the gospel, grace that abounds in every good work, grace that abounds in generosity, grace that is sufficient. That's t- uh, chapter twelve, grace that unites in fellowship. Beautiful, beautiful grace of God just that oozes through this letter what we discover about god we discover that we discover i'm sorry we discover the god of all comfort chapter one verse three actually i, I went through just briefly going through the first what we, what we will be looking at all the way up to chapter three there's obviously got 13 chapters here so i didn't go through every one of them but just kind of give you a, a taste of what we'll be seeing in the first first couple of chapters we discover the god of, a, of all comfort We discover the God of all deliverance, chapter 1, verse 9. God who raises the dead delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. We discover the God of all boasting. Our boast is this, but by the grace of God. Everybody else is boasting on their own merits. He says, but we boast God is the one we boast about. We discover the God of all promises, chapter 1, verse 20. All the promises of God find their yes in him. Now, there are some tricky passages and there are some tricky verses in 2 Corinthians. We'll talk about those, of course, as well. We discover the God of all joy. Chapter 2, verse 3. That my joy would be the joy of you all. In the midst of everything you experiencing, right? We discover the God of all forgiveness. Chapter 2, verse 10. What I have forgiven has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. We discover the God of all triumph. Thanks be to God, who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession. And we discover the God of all sufficiencies. Our sufficiency is from God. You can't read, you cannot read this letter and not be emotional. You can't read this letter and not be moved. I mean, as you read it, I'm like, man, I want to stop because you see just the, just a strong emotion that. I hope I hope the text doesn't leave us indifferent. The danger of analyzing a text verse by verse as you start taking it with, with a scalpel of a doctor, and now you're dissecting it like you're an animal. It's meant to be alive. It's meant to transform. It's meant to motivate us. It. It's meant to move us. It's not meant to just analyze and parse tenses and verbs. So I hope in the process that we get in the weeds of somebody that we don't lose sight of that. The last thing I put down we discover how to walk the Christian walk. Walking in the new covenant, God has proved faithful in keeping his promises. He describes to them, walking in grace, new covenant is based on the grace of God, the grace that meets man in his darkest need, the grace that conquers death. Walking in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. One thing about Second about Corinthians that's beautiful is that it contains Paul's most comprehensive statement about the death of God. Just that description, and he walked through that in chapter 5. We, some of these verses we're familiar with because we quote them we memorize them and so some of the most comprehensive understanding of what it means is the death and burial of Christ walking in genuine transformation here's what genuine ministry looks like one thing he's going to do to contrast himself with the false prophets these other apostles is he's going to contrast what makes them an apostle and what makes me an apostle and part of that is that he's going to describe is they, they what made them an apostle is one it talks about their letters of recommendation. That's what Paul talks about. Well, why does he do that? Because these other men came with letters of recommendation. So-and-so, you know, I I come from MacArthur School. There's my recommendation, right? And you come with these letters of recommendation, and he he, he describes what? My recommendation in his first two words, I am an apostle of Christ. That's my letter of recommendation. And so uh, he, he'll contrast a lot of that with, with uh, the other apostles and the biggest way he'll contrast the difference between him and the other apostles not trying to affirm who he is versus who they are the greatest way he'll affirm that is by describing the life that he lives the greatest testimony that I am who I claim to be or that I'm an apostle of Christ is the life that I live and that's what he puts on on full display so next week we'll start here uh, introduction, first two verses and we'll start in the first section. This won't take very long. It'll take maybe five five minutes on this first section next week and then and then we'll walk through the text. I know we took two one and a half really Sunday uh, school times to go over the the, the the context but we'll see as we walk through the text how it'll resurface continually. Okay, this is what he's saying what he's saying. This is what he sees when he says this. This is what the the church is living when he says this and kinda <laughs> And put all that put all those pieces together so what I'll do in the email I'll send an email out to the class is send maybe here's what we're covering next week here's some things you'll be thinking about reading about and kind of get us engaged on that next time so beautiful beautiful letter looking forward to to walking through that together let's close our time in, in a word of prayer Father as I read through Paul's letter to 2 Corinthians Lord 2 Corinthians letter, Lord, Corinth, what a what a reminder of the sufficiency of God's grace. Grace that's been bestowed upon us. Grace that gives us a God of all comfort. Grace that allows us to walk in truth and obedience. Grace that, Lord, uh, is sufficient. And even Paul later would describe his, his thorn in the flesh and, and you'll comfort him, remind him that your grace is sufficient even indeed. So I just pray as we walk through this that... We would discover you more, have a greater understanding for who you are, and that our lives may then live accordingly by your grace. We thank you for this morning, Lord. Pray for for pastor as he uh, uh, will be sharing in the second service with us, Lord. That you might just bless the remainder of this day. In the name we pray. Amen.